0: Hi, everyone. This is Peggy West with Benefit Plan Diagnostics. Thanks for tuning in today to our podcast. The topic of the podcast today is Healthcare 8 My 401k Contributions, Part 2. Now, we had uh, a review of Part 1 of this topic earlier in another podcast, and I'm happy to say that Rocky Blair has joined me again on this podcast to talk about part two. What do we do now as, as further steps in our efforts to help our employees be more retirement ready? So to reintroduce Rocky, Rocky is currently a consultant advisor with Hub National. He has been in the benefits of retirement business for, as I like to say, more than 20 years. Um, so he knows a lot of what he's talking about and has lived it with employers and plan sponsors. So Rocky, can you fill us in a little bit more about your background and add what you're doing lately?
1: Yeah, certainly Peggy. and Thank you for, uh, for having me this afternoon. So I've, as you mentioned, I've been in the employee benefits business now for uh, over 30 years, uh, somewhat split evenly between the employee benefits side of the business uh, such as medical in the qualified retirement plan side of it, more recently in the, uh, the 401k, 43b, and, and pension side of it. And having that background gives me a unique lens into total rewards and how those two types of programs, medical specifically and retirement, uh, come together and have some cross correlations, even causations between them. And that's often difficult to see when one specializes just in one discipline and, and, and not both. And that's really what the genesis of the uh, healthcare 8 k contributions part one and part two is about is those observations and things employers can do if they have both those programs they can do to um, symbiotically manage those for uh, not only the participant outcomes, but also uh, business performance. So that's really where my focus has been. That's where uh, I've been spending my time here of lately talking to uh, employers about that, uh, putting some tools and analysis together in in analytic capability to really bring that to light for specific employers, really give them a a call to action and um, and a way to uh, really look at um, their benefits differently. Great, when
0: we look at part one of our, uh, articles and our discussions, basically we looked at um, an employee organization, Midwest Manufacturer, small to medium size, um, an established company, been around a long time, had half of their population over the age of 50. So, and this is a somewhat typical manufacturing organization. And as we looked at the data there, the the focus was using data analysis, both demographic data and uh, claims data, health and prescription drug claims data, also looking at 401 k balances to determine if we can pinpoint specific issues within our healthcare plans, where we could, as an employer plan sponsor, apply some changes Try to address those particular health care claims challenges in order to save a bit of money. And then looking at the 401k balances, try to shift some of that money that we're saving in health care into the uh, retirement pot. Because frankly, when we look at the plan balances for those employees, especially those approaching retirement age, They were not at all where we hoped they would be. Those folks appeared not to be ready for retirement. And if you talk to those folks, they would say, I can't afford to retire, I'm never going to retire. So if you're stuck in that cycle of that group of employees incurring large health claims, and your plan's not really doing anything to address the cause of those claims, on top of which they can't retire, It seems unbalanced and there's just like a money drain. There have to be some things we can do by doing that data analysis to help health plan. So now in part two, we're saying, okay, we know that data analysis can uncover health claims and cost issues that we didn't realize were going on. And we found a lot of that with Midwest manufacturer, some eye-opening stats. So if employers can use these data analysis tools, does this change the way they actually think about their health plans, their prescription drug plans, and their 401k or pension plans? How does it change their attitude towards those plans and the way they address the plan design and plan function?
1: Thank you. Those are really good comments. I think a couple of things you're going to see, and this is also now being driven by legislation, the Consolidated Appropriations Act that uh, went into effect earlier this year, which is equivalent to the Pension Protection Act that was uh, passed in law a number of years ago for qualified plans. But the uh, Consolidated Appropriations Act, Act, or CAA, in short, really requires three things of an employer when looking at their medical program Number one, is the service that's being provided, is it required? And number two, is it necessary? And number three, is it reasonable? Those are three standards that up until now really have not been required of employers to ask of the medical program and their service providers. And they're looking at those now, and, and as they start to look at it, they start to understand, well, how is this program being built? Are we getting the best value for, for the dollar? And these are things that have been going on for the last couple of years in retirement programs. Uh, we've, we've seen uh, heightened emphasis, looking at fees, looking at uh, services, looking at reasonableness of those. So the two are really starting to come together on, on par with one another. And with that, we're starting to apply the same lens that we've had on the retirement side now to the healthcare side. And that's good for employers. And also it's good for employees because um, employers are now thinking about, well, how are my employees interacting with healthcare? And we know that uh, employee engagement with health care drives better outcomes for employees. Uh, preventive care, for instance, uh, chronic disease treatment, as another example, and paying attention to that and managing that not only improves the, uh, the lifestyle uh, for employees, but also uh, manages the cost for, for them and, and for the employers. So now we're looking at those really hand in hand. We see that financial health, equals physical health and and vice versa. And that's good for employees and and certainly good for the employer. And it's really now starting to ask, starting to force us to ask better and deeper questions and understand how, how the programs work. So we're seeing employers who are doing that and and those employers, we're seeing their financial performance and their employee engagement and productivity improve.
0: I think that's a great point. It's almost like applying some of those fiduciary principles that we've applied to 401k plans in the past to our healthcare plans. And if you do that as an employer, uh, really, it seems like, as you mentioned, not only are your financial performance indicators going to increase and your employee engagement, also your employee appreciation of the benefits increase You're just gonna have a better plan, a more reliable plan overall. Um, And and you talked about some other factors that go into your healthcare plan. If we talk about some of the social determinants of health that also impact healthcare, um, health behaviors, management of chronic disease, access to primary care, access to preventive care. Those are all important for helping employers control that plan costs. Um, so if we invest in employee health plans and really start to manage them, it, it's sort of an area I think a lot of plan sponsors just want to close their eyes and say, I don't understand it. I have to have this, um, a really more in-depth analysis an analysis of the data associated with your health plan is going to help you a great deal. You may not be able to do it on yourself or on your own as a plan sponsor, but engaging a specialist is going to help you. So if we look at an organization like Midwest Manufacturer, how could they employ those savings from their health plan to improve retirement readiness for their employees? Yeah,
1: and I think you're bringing up a good point. One thing that when employers focus on their plans as standalone programs in isolation, as, a, as opposed to total rewards, they they miss the overall cost impact, not just to them, but to the employees. What's the pressure that those programs place on employees' household budget? With, for example, with medical plans increasing 7%, to 8% a year, and some or all that increase being passed along to employees in terms of monthly costs for, for premiums or expenses and/or out of pocket expenses. It continues to eat away at more of the monthly budget, which is also necessary for transportation, for housing, student loans, daycare expenses, and oh yes, at some point in time, retirement savings. Mm -hmm. Well, we know which those expenses are immediate. We also know which one is more longer term. So the one that tends to be um, pushed off and kicked down the road is retirement savings. And now we understand the impact that retirement savings has on all the other aspects of of work life and and family life, so that's the interaction that I think we've come to realize, and employers are starting to understand that there's only so much financial pressure that can be placed on an employee's household budget before something something breaks. It's either mm-hmm. they don't show up in the morning because they had a car breakdown and they need five hundred dollars for repair and they don't have it, or it's because their daycare um, arrangements aren't as um, as intact as what they had hoped. So lots of things because of financial scarcity tends to drive productivity, absenteeism, turnover, uh, safety issues, et cetera, within the, the workplace. So the more that we understand that, the more we can address it through interventions, looking at cost reductions or preventions and better management of the usage of those programs for employees. And ultimately the employer wins from better uh, engagement, productivity, and also financial performance within uh, the organization.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that um, a lot of things have been happening in the last couple of years due to COVID. Employers are facing employee burnout, and now they're facing the great resignation their, where their employees walk out the door and say, look, I can get a better deal elsewhere. So if you can help employees in terms of enhancing their employee experience, maybe through something like a financial wellness program that addresses what you're talking about, day-to-day expenses so that retirement savings can increase. I think this can help your employee engagement and uh, increase employee appreciation for your company. In the article that's actually published currently in the Q1 edition of Benefits Quarterly, you also write about customized solutions. What are some other customized solutions? We talked about financial wellness. Is there more to that, or what other customized solutions could an employer apply to help an employee increase their readiness for retirement?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things we're starting to recognize now in any given workplace uh, or workforce, there could be four, or five, maybe even six different generations present. So from those who are in their early 20s just entering the workforce to those who are in their late 60s or even 70s trying to finish up uh, their working career then, and all those in between. And historically, employers have provided one uh, total rewards package for all different generations. And for some of myself who was in, the, uh, in my late 50s, my interest for my benefit program is a lot different than maybe my kids who are entering the workforce in their 20s they're more interested in pet insurance and I'm more interested in retiring medical coverage. But yet we're both working off the same total rewards package. And in that regard, we really haven't mass personalized total rewards programs for the benefit of the employees or the workforce really meet them where they are and meet their needs that they have, not only professionally, but also at at home. The 20 year old may be single, still in a parent's medical program. The 30 year old may be married, may have kids. Uh, they have different pressures, different interests, and then the empty nesters and the um, late employees who are working in their 60s and 70s are still trying to make up for some savings and lost time. So lots of different dynamics, and we now start to understand that, and we can measure that and tailor benefit programs to, to fit uh, people for, for where they are. And what we're finding and uh, what we're finding for the great resignation, as we call it, folks want to con- they want to work for uh, employers who they feel value them, value their skills, value their contribution, and value them as, as unique individuals. And this is something that can be valid, validated by investing time and resources into employees. Uh, for instance, uh, a lot of wellness programs are, are being introduced now. There are mentoring programs being introduced. There are career coaches being introduced. One of the areas that employers could really look at is how, how do you introduce uh, financial coaches because people's financial wherewithal is just as important as their, their physical wherewithal when it comes to uh, work performance in and, and their personal lives. And investing in them and not, not a lot of um, expense, but in, in financial coaches, somebody who's gonna lead folks from where they are to where they need to be so they retire on time can be a significant performance booster to morale, but also to the, the financials of their employer. And it's not a terribly expensive program either. Because we think about we we expect our employees to really understand their work that they do, understand the environment they're in, the interaction with the folks. We also think that their financial advisors or insurance professionals, they know how to use the program to the best benefit. And every year during open enrollment, they get this tower of terror of material they have to go through <laughs> and figure out how to navigate and use to the best of their ability and for the best um, outcome for the family. And, and a lot of employees struggle with that. And then certainly understand how to how to put the pieces together so that, that when the time comes, they can leave on, on their own terms. That's very challenging. And that's a pretty high expectation that, that employers have of employees, as opposed to giving them a roadmap or giving them a coach to help them along the way. So when the time comes, they're ready mm-hmm. to leave. And that also um, can be a risk mitigating factor for employers who may have key employees who decide at some point in time to walk in on Monday morning and say, Look, uh, this week is my last week, my financial planner and my uh, financial planner says I'm able to leave and my physician says I probably don't need the extra stress. And all of a sudden you have a valuable employee with that information in their head who walks out the door and there's no replacement for that particular employee. Mm-hmm. So a mentoring program, uh, financial coaching program really invests in folks, makes them feel good about the employer, makes them feel valued, but also serves a significant, uh, financial interest for both employee and and employer.
0: That makes a lot of sense. You know, you do talk about all those different segments and all those different ages within an employee population. And definitely we're not all focused on the same thing as an older employee. I'm not focused on childcare, but as a 25, 30 year old employee, uh, maybe a single mother, maybe a single father who has a couple of kids at home, you got to focus on childcare right now retirement seems a hundred years away. So if I can really, you know, concentrate and and get some help with my childcare issue, um, maybe then I can calm down enough to think about retirement in the future. Sort of, oh, by the way, yeah, you have to save for your retirement. No, I just have to make sure my kids have somebody staying with them where they have some place to go today. So I, I think those are very valuable. And as you point out, They're not all that expensive. However, again, you've got to let employees know those things are out there and teach them how to use those things. Uh, I love the Tower of Terror reference. That's awesome, where we just stack up this stuff. And either when employees first hire, we say, here, boom, read this 200 pages by tomorrow night and then enroll in all your benefits. And that's that. And we don't talk to them anymore about that because they should just know, right? (sighs) They don't you know by the time they come in for orientation, they say, where's the coffee room? Um, that's all, all I can remember. Coffee room in the bathroom, and where's the time clock or what have you. Um, or you know, how do I log on to my computer? And they've forgotten everything that you've included in the tower of chair, paperwork, etc. So uh yeah, I think it's a great suggestion. Those just to for an employer to slow down and think, all right, not everyone's the same have great benefit plans, but they don't apply the same to each person. Um, and you mentioned coaching. I read recently someone talking about being a retirement coach or putting in some kind of retirement coaching program for employees. A lot of folks fear retirement because it's so different. Not only are they not financially ready or they may be financially ready, they're not emotionally ready. Uh, so I think retirement coaching that at the end or towards the end of someone's career is also a valuable thing, um, but uh, coaching about all, all other benefits along the way would be so valuable.
1: Yeah, it, it would for, for a number of reasons. One, you, you mentioned the folks that mostly were um, cognitively just not ready for retirement. Uh, one large employer that we're working with calls it the fear factor. Oh, yeah. The fear factor. What am I going to do day one when I'm not driving to the office? And that oftentimes keep, keep, keeps people working longer than maybe what they want to or, or, or should. Financially, they may be prepared, but they're also thinking, well, will this last paycheck last me the rest of my life? That, that's a that's a pretty daunting thought. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side of the coin, we have those who are financially imprisoned, those who really cannot afford to retire. And I've even had one employer say, well, we may not have a phased retirement program, but we do have a uh, retirement program called Disability and Workers' Compensation. (laughs) Darsely will find its way. Uh, Employees who don't have wherewithal but just are burned out or physically unable to complete their their work will find a way to, to find compensation and to avoid work. And that's where we see all these expenses start to creep up with employers that they may think, well, I'll save money and not have a financial coach program, but they're going to pay for in other ways. You know, kind of like my monthly credit card statement, when the Chipotle and Starbucks expenses all add up, and I think, gee, where'd all that go? Same thing mm-hmm. happens with other benefits. And and that's what I think employers are starting to see is that nickel and diamond goes out and really mounts up to be a pretty significant expense at the end of the year. And there are ways to address it, just digging into data and finding out where behaviors really um, apply within the workforce and what can be done to reposition benefits and be more strategic in, in their offering and, and the structure of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and in, in the article in the Benefits Quarterly, you do include several charts that really illustrate this sort of a cost that, um, as you and I discussed when we were first looking at this topic, employers don't always recognize the cost of spending too much on medical care Healthcare plans for employees without really digging into what you're paying for. And then the consequence of that is you're overspending on healthcare. If you don't spend, pay any attention to your leave programs or look at the reasons for disability and stuff, you're, you're spending a lot of money there. It's all tied into that benefits experience, looking at that, uncovering that unaccounted for expense is really eye-opening. And if if you could control those expenses, you could certainly spend more money on your employees, either with financial wellness programs or helping them retire at the time that they uh, wish to retire or putting in programs like, I really like the thought of uh, a phased retirement program, Um, easing people into retirement instead of employee, like you mentioned, a high level employee comes to you says hey this is my last week because um i need to stop working full time my financial advisor says you can do it my doctor says you better do it if you want to live longer and the only choice that employee has is all or nothing at all so they say hey give me my party i want the nothing at all and um so employer has a party and all the time during the party they're going holy cow what am i going to do like a lot of these other ideas we've talked about, face it head on, planning for it, talking about it might be helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing I'm not sure employers realize is the business risk they're taking or assuming by not having you know, thoughtful, measured uh, programs in place to really address a- employee needs. Um, I recently, I remind myself, I saw a report that the, the folks at T. Rowe Price conducted, this is back in 2018, where they show the interesting parallel between employers' financial performance and the quality of their retirement program. And they measure the quality of the retirement program by retirement readiness. How many of their people were actually able to retire on time? And those who had higher retirement rates Coincidentally, he had higher investment performance rate. These are all publicly traded companies, so they're looking at their stock price, mm-hmm. and it was remarkable the correlation. Not that there was causation, but there's certainly correlation. And those employers who you know, did the right things for the employees tend to also be rewarded uh, financially as well.
0: Yeah, financially and with uh, more engagement and um, let's just say loyalty from employees because. And yeah, employees- all well by
1: doing good, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but as you mentioned it first, let employees know you appreciate them. So um, I wanna conclude here with again, recommending that folks, uh, if you have access to benefits quarterly, There's a great article in there, lots of terrific information that um, Rocky has put out there. And uh, the charts are great. Many ideas you can apply to your own benefit plans. At least start thinking of these ideas to take a careful look at your benefits program, how one leads into another and how health and welfare benefits can impact the uh, retirement readiness of your employees. So Rocky, I wanna thank you again very much. It was a pleasure talking with you and uh, maybe we can look forward to healthcare eight, my 401k contributions part three, sometime in the near future.
1: Well, thank you, Peggy.
0: And all this is Peggy West again with Benefit Plan Diagnostics. If you would like to learn more about how you can analyze your benefit programs and realize the savings and the benefits of taking a more long-term view of your benefit plans, contact me. I'm at benefitplandiagnostics.com. Thank you.